630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Hey, really appreciate you tuning in tonight. Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio 630 Chad. You had Eskimos head coach Scott Milanovic coming through your speaker between 6 and 6.30 tonight. Good to catch up with him in a delay here as we do not know when CFL training camps will start. May 17th was the proposed date. Uh, We obviously don't know what's going to happen with the National Hockey League, but players uh, continue to be in a self-isolation period until April 15th. We will check in with Oilers defenseman Caleb Jones coming up here in a few minutes. You can text 780-496-0063. That's also the number to call in. Brian uh, wrote in earlier when we were talking to Jack Michaels about going to Wimbledon, Kellen. Mm. He says, is tennis more entertaining live than on television? Because on TV, it's brutal to watch. Uh, That is from uh, Brian. Man, I, so I'm surprised to hear that. I think if you don't like watching tennis on TV, you probably wouldn't watch it live. I, Brian, I, like, I don't know you, but I'm guessing you probably just don't like tennis. I get the same question about curling all the time. Is curling fun to watch? Curling's uh, To me, curling's better on television. Oh, I like it live, honestly. Do I'm one have- of the strange people that like it live. I'm not saying I hate it live, but I, th- I think it's better on television because at the highest levels of curling... It's a, it's a fairly complex game. The shots they're trying to pull off and set up, to me, would not be apparent to somebody who is not astute about curling. And the television angles in curling and the, the analysis and the players being mic'd up, it's awesome. Right. That's the way to watch. But, you know, watching it live at, like, huge events like the Briar or the Scotties or something like that, you get involved with, like, a group of people sitting around you. Some of them, okay, maybe have been partaking in the Briar patch or the party patio, you know, prior to the event or something. And, uh, you know, you can get into debates in between play. Yeah, absolutely. But, but, see, I I have never attended a live tennis match, certainly not at a a Grand Slam. I, I I would love to see one live. But I, I think the TV presentation of sports is so good now. And tennis, now they have the challenges. So you can challenge the umpire's call or a linesperson's call. Mm-hmm. And they have that awesome digital rep- representation and they show you exactly where the ball hit and how far in or out it was. So, yeah, I th- I, I would I would think for, for Brian texting in, if he doesn't like tennis on TV, he probably just doesn't like tennis. Gotcha. But yeah. you never know. Maybe he'd go to a match and he would he would be smitten. Now I am somebody, and and a lot of my uh, a lot of my friends, not all of them, but some, and a lot of people I talk to, I I will watch golf on TV, especially if it's a major. The 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 weekly tournaments, I I might pop in and out of, or I might not see them at all. Certainly the majors, I will watch as much of as possible. And again, I'd sooner watch golf on TV because you're always watching the most relevant shot right so i i i always people always ask well how can you watch golf there's so much downtime but there actually isn't okay phil's hitting his approach on 13 he's setting up he hits the shot okay there it landed quick analysis maybe quick replay now we're not going to wait for phil to take four minutes to watch up to the green and putt we're going to go look at other shots that happened during that same time so that's why to me golf is made for tv and now the way they can track the ball in flight 
even live, sometimes they have the, the tracker, the, the fox puck, right? <laughs> they, but they'll yeah, have the that. blue or red line behind the ball as it's in flight live. Right. Excellent slow motion replays. You know, the cameras are everywhere. So that's why, for me, golf on TV, excellent. Curling on TV, you know, for me, better than seeing it live. Now, I'm not that's saying... Fair enough. Ob- obviously, I would like to go to a PGA event or a major. It would be cool just to walk one of those courses or maybe follow a golfer or something like that. But I, I got a bit of a confession right here. Uh-oh. I I have trouble because now that we're in this where sports are in all the hiatuses and in pause or canceled, depending on the league or the event... TV stations are showing a lot of older games. There's a Blue Jays game from the 92 World Series on the TV in the studio right now. I think I have it on Sportsnet West. I believe it's game five of the World Series against Atlanta from 92. Gotta so love they, the hairstyles from 92. So they won it so they would win in game six back in Atlanta. There's There have been old Oilers games on TV, old Gretzky's highlights. I actually have trouble watching a game if I know the result. Just to watch an entire game. Because... Most games are remembered for the highlights. Now, the greatest games had more importance, and they had, you know, and the most exciting games have more highlights. But still, if I know what's going to happen, I have trouble sitting through the the lead up to that. Does that make sense? I know Absolutely. the Oilers, the Oilers San Jose game five from 2017 was on TV a few days ago, mm-hmm. maybe on the weekend. I can't keep all the the days. Yeah, I think it was Saturday anymore. night on CBC. So I know. The Oilers are going to win on a David DeHarnay goal about 17 minutes into overtime. So I, I, for me, it would be difficult to sit through the entire overtime. Right. Because I, I know I just want to see the DeHarnay goal. And if I really want to see it, I can just pull up on YouTube and watch it. So for that reason, I, even though I, I, I work as a, as a sports broadcaster, I, I find myself I can't get caught up in watching an entire game that has already happened especially if I've seen it and I know exactly when the high points are. I, I'd sooner just watch a six-minute condensed version or something like that. Now, having said that, here is the one sporting event that I have watched front to back, and I watched it earlier this week in two sessions. I think I started Monday and I watched Tuesday. It was about three hours long. Okay. So I probably watched about an hour and a half each time. But part of the reason I watched this was because even though I knew what happened, I had never seen it in its entirety. Oh, okay. And that was the, now this is really going to get a laugh out of people. It was the final round of the 1996 Masters. Greg Norman goes into the final round with a six-shot lead on Nick Faldo, mm-hmm. and Faldo wins the tournament by five. Wow. Yeah, we have a new guy in the studio today, Cody. Uh, Cody, if you could just shake your head or give me a thumbs up, and let, you can come on if you want. Uh, do you? Do those names mean anything to you? No, because you are a younger gentleman. Okay. So Greg Norman was an outstanding golfer, but he was known for not winning majors. He only, he only won two. Excellent Nick, fashion Nick, sense, too. Nick Faldo, the, the shark. Yeah. So here's the thing. When that was broadcast live in 1996, I was I, at my parents in Evansburg, and the Masters was always on CBC when I was a kid, and now it was on TSN. So my parents, living in a rural area, did not get TSN in 1996. So I'd seen the highlights, I'd read about it, I knew what happened, but I'd never watched the entire round. And I thought, I want to watch the entire round and see Norman and see his body language and how Faldo was reacting. So that is actually the one sporting event I've watched in its entirety, and it was golf. And because, uh, and it was because I hadn't seen it before. Okay, we're going to take a quick timeout. Caleb Jones coming up when we get back.
Welcome back to Inside Sports. Defenseman for your Edmonton Oilers, Caleb Jones. Caleb, how are you doing? Okay, thanks a lot for making time for us tonight as we move through some very unusual times. Uh, let Oilers fans know where uh, where you've been spending your time and, and how you're trying to keep busy. Yeah, so I've uh, been in Dallas and uh, just doing the same thing as everyone else, trying to quarantine and social distance, but I've been, been trying to stay active with some home workouts and, you know, getting a little bit on Xbox, playing some video games and uh, like you said, trying to find different ways to, uh, you know, make life interesting. It's tough right now, but um, it's all for the best, and hopefully we're, we're going to be through it pretty soon. So after the, the season went on pause, when did you head down to Dallas? You know, I was talking to Josh Archibald yesterday, and he said he and his family just drove 21 hours straight, and they wound up at his wife's uh, family's home in, in Nebraska. Did you hang around here for a while, or, or when did you did decide to head down to Dallas? Yeah, so that Thursday, uh, we, the season got postponed. It was, I think, it was the day after our game that we uh, we lost versus Winnipeg, and then I hung around, just kind of waiting to see what was going to happen. And then on that Monday, they told us to uh, maybe we could go home, and so went and you know grabbed my equipment and um, headed back to Dallas that day. So what what are you okay. able to, what what are you able to do for for working out? I mean, I'm, I'm sure that's obviously got to be a little bit different than what you might be able to do if everything was open and available. How, how have you tried to stay sharp here? Yeah, uh, it's definitely difficult, but uh, our our training staff's done a great job of, of getting to um, putting together some home workouts and sending us stuff and giving us different ideas if we want to purchase you know some equipment, but. That's basically what I've been doing is what I've been getting sent and the home workouts. And I've also tried to get out and, you know, maybe go for some walks and go for a couple of runs outside. But besides that, um, that's kind of been my whole training regimen. So I haven't been able to, obviously, you know, like you said, we've been kind of quarantining and self-isolating. So I haven't been able to to get on the ice in a while. But hopefully uh, the next three, you know, two, three weeks, things maybe ease up. We'll see how it goes. Well, probably easier to be outside in Dallas than it is in Edmonton. It's refusing to warm up here for some reason. So <laughs> it's, it's good. To get... Yeah, that's tough. <laughs> tough to get outside there. <laughs> is, uh, no, is, is, your, is your brother with you or, or what's, what's his situation? No, so he's, um, he's actually still living in Columbus and he's been um, having to rehab his ankle that he hurt uh, about you know, probably not two, two months ago now. So he's been there and um, the injured players have still been able to go to the rink and, and stay apart, but they have to obviously get the rehab. So he's been there and uh, we'll see in the next two, three weeks. Maybe he'll, um, hopefully he can make his way back to Dallas, but uh, we'll see how his rehab keeps going. Okay. I gotcha. Now, what about the Xbox? Do you play online with, uh, with buddies? What's your game of preference? Yeah, so I've uh, I've been playing online actually a lot with my brother, and, and that's kind of been the main person I've been playing with. And you know, there's been a few other buddies I played with, but uh, just kind of everything. You know, right now I've, I've I've gotten kind of bored a few times and just you know played some Call of Duty or NBA uh, 2K. So those have been my two games, and um, yeah, been been trying to work on my game. I feel like I've gotten pretty good, but. <laughs> It's just something I do for fun, you know, when I'm getting kind of bored. So. What, what team do you usually pick in NBA 2K? Do you have a go-to? Oh, yeah, i got to be LeBron. So I'm, oh, the, I'm usually the Lakers just because I want to be LeBron. 
Okay, good stuff. Caleb Jones, defenseman from your Edmonton Oilers, joining us tonight on Inside Sports. So the, the team was having a, a, a pretty good year. There, you know, of course there'd been some ups and downs, like like there always are. But you guys were firmly entrenched in a playoff spot. I know there's hope that that somehow it's going to resume. But when you look back on uh, the, the the 71 games that the team played this season, uh, you know, I, I know you weren't there for quite all of them, but most of them. You know, just why do you feel the team was able to win more than they lost this year? I think, um, you know, just being around the team and stuff, we just gelled together really well. And I think, you know, we were kind of really buying into uh, Tippett's, uh, you know, systems and, you know, his style. And I think it was just we had a really good group that was gelling and bonding together. And, you know, we were playing hard and we're playing for each other. And when you do that, I think uh, the results show up on the ice. So, uh, we were kind of we we're kind of disappointed because you know we were really looking forward to making a run, but you know hopefully the season can can resume soon. But I think that's the biggest thing is we were we were all bought into the system and that it was showing on the ice. You know, in in terms of your game, Caleb, obviously I'd seen you play briefly in the past in the National Hockey League, but there were some nights you, you you played quite a bit because there were some injuries on defense. I I thought you were looking more and more comfortable and poised as the season went on. You've been able to score four goals to this point in the year. How did you feel about your game this year? Yeah, I think um, I think I was growing for sure. You know, I think at the start I was kind of maybe feeling my way into it a little too much and, and you know, maybe trying not to make mistakes and, and just play safe and uh, that's not really, you know, how I. That's not really how I roll and how I'm going to be most successful. And when I started to just kind of let loose and, and not think so much and just trust myself and my instincts, um, I think my game really started to pick up. And I think it was coming along. And there's still some things I definitely need to improve on. But I think, you know, as long as you keep getting better every year and keep growing as a, you know, as a person and player, um, you know, everything's going to take care of itself. So uh, that's my goal right now, and you know, it's going to continue to be my goal. One thing I thought with you, I, I like I used the word poised when I asked you that previous question, and you just looked like more comfortable, more like you knew where the puck needed to go and how much time you had to do it or, or not to do it. And sometimes players will say that the more they play, the game slows down a little bit. Maybe that's a bit of a cliche, but I think there might be some truth to it. Do you think that applies to you at all? Yeah. Definitely. The game, you know, I think poise is a good word. You know, I started to get my confidence and, you know, I think when you, when you watch the game from up top, you you can see a couple things that that you might not really, the game seems like it's coming at you so fast, but as you keep playing more and more and get more experience, you realize, you know, maybe you have a little more time in certain situations to make a better play. And I think that's something that I was, I don't even think I've, you know, scratched the surface of where I can get to with that. And that's something that was starting to come into my game is is the confidence to hold on to pucks and, and make plays and, and do different things like that. So, um, you know, it sucks at the season at the end because I really felt like I was coming on um, in that area. Caleb, is there a game from this season that really stands out? I, I know you scored a goal in the uh, 8-3 game against Calgary that had the goalie fight. That's probably the highlight of the year uh, for a lot of Oilers fans. Is there a <laughs> game or a moment that uh, is your favorite from this year? Um, and I think if, if, you know, personally for me, I think the game in Nashville was a big step for me. I, you know, I was able to play a lot of, I put a lot of minutes that game and, um, you know, I just thought that was, when I look back on, you know, maybe my best game of the year, I think looking at that game and, and seeing different things I was able to do defensively and, and the confidence I had with the puck and, and 
I think just my whole all-around game uh, that particular night in Nashville really, really showed and, and showed the potential that I have as a, as a player, you know, in the league. And that's something that I have to learn to do consistently and, and bring it every night. But that's, you know, where I see myself being able to get to. Caleb Jones from the Edmonton Oilers joining us tonight on Inside Sports. So uh, you're, you're back in Dallas. Let, let's go. Let's go way back. Do you remember the first time you skated or the first time you were on a minor hockey team? Does, do you still have that memory? <laughs> Oh, the first time I skated, I was three, so I don't remember that. Um, I remember playing might. I actually, I lived the first six, or I think I lived till I was seven um, in Colorado, actually. So I was born in Dallas, and then my dad played for the Nuggets. So I lived in Denver till I was about seven, then went back to Dallas for the rest of my uh, rest of my childhood. But my first team was uh, Littleton Hawks in Colorado. It was a might team, so. Okay, and uh, were were you a good hockey player right at the start, or did you have to grow into it a little bit? Um, I was pretty good at the start. I was I was just a lot bigger than the kids when we were really young, and I was kind of a little bully. My mom always used to say, but <laughs> uh, no, I would say I, I kind of had to as I got into squirt and peewee, I wasn't very good. Um, and then Bantam, I, I kind of just kept getting a little better, and, and midget, and then. Um, I was kind of a, a little bit of a late bloomer, um, but yeah, I kinda, it's something I had to really work at uh, when I was about 13, 14, 15, those three years in particular, I, I really worked at it. So, And was there a, a coach or someone in your life that was a bit of a mentor or giving you maybe a bit of a kick in the pants when you needed it? Um, yeah, Jordan French. So he was a youth coach in Dallas, actually, and I did lessons with him. Uh, he kind of taught me. I would say he taught me hockey. Uh, he taught me how to skate. That was a big thing is I wasn't a very good skater uh, coming up when I was like 11, 12, 13. I just, just wasn't good at it, never really worked hard at it. And that was one thing he, he talked to me when I was 13 and just said, if you want to you know, play at the high level, this is the way the game's going and you got to work on your skating. So I would get up before school with him about three times a week and the rink and uh, just didn't know pucks, just skating. So. That, that year when I was 13 is when I really started to, to really take it serious and kind of really work at it. And were you always a defenseman? Uh, no, I was a forward to start out. I liked playing center. And then when I got to eight years old, when I first moved to Dallas to play squirt, the coach said the only way uh, he can play on the team is we need a defenseman. So I, I went back to D and... That was that. <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and the rest is history. Okay. Well, Caleb, I, I tell you what, thanks for uh, sharing those memories. Thanks for letting everybody know what you're up to. And uh, we're, we're riding this out and hope we see you back at the rink sooner rather than later. Yeah, for sure. Thanks, Reed. I hope, you, uh, hope you're staying safe too. Right on. Good stuff there from Caleb Jones, defenseman for your Edmonton Oilers. We will uh, see what's going on golf-wise. A lot of uncertainty for courses around the city when we get back. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. Got a text here from Jamie. Now, this is an interesting one. He says, hey, Reed, when you're bored sitting at home, you should check out a YouTube channel for ERB, Epic Rap Battles of History. Kellen, do you know about this? You I watch, do. Uh, uh, watch two sports-related ones featuring Wayne Gretzky versus Tony Hawk mm-hmm. and Lance Armstrong versus Babe Ruth. Hmm. 
I know this isn't your type of music, but I think you will get a good laugh. They have 14.7 million subscribers. They are quite a guilty pleasure for many. That is from Jamie. Well, I'll put that on the to-do list. Yeah, Weird Al Yankovic actually collaborates with them quite a bit. Oh, see, oh, really? He's in a bunch of those videos. I think he did one where it was like Abe Lincoln versus Benjamin Franklin. Oh, so it's people dressing up? Yes. Oh, and they have a rap battle. Yep. And they have a rap battle. They have, they have uh, a bunch of celebrities have done that channel in the past. The last rap battle I saw was in the, uh, and I'm one of the few people who watch this show, I think, the television show Legion. Okay. That wrapped up last year. That was a good show. Mm. I'll take your word for it. I didn't see it. <laughs> uh, it was good. It was, based, okay. uh, it was a character out of the uh, X-Men universe, but it's not ah, tied okay. into any of the Marvel movies or anything like that. But it, it, was, it, gotcha. was, it was a very quirky show, but they had a rap battle in it between a, a villain and one of the heroes at one point. That was pretty Sweet. funny. Okay. Well, uh, the weather's terrible. It's funny, with everything going on with the virus, we're not talking about the weather that much, but it's bad. My phone says it's minus 10 right now. I think it might slightly warm up after the weekend. Some years you could be golfing right now or close to golfing. Uh, Not this year. we got a couple things to touch on here with our next guest, Adam Bruce, joining us on the line. Adam, thanks for checking in tonight. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. Yeah, hope everyone's safe with you. Yeah, not bad, Adam. Of course, you're the associate professional at Glendale. How long have you been at that course now? Uh, this uh, 2020 is going to be my 10th season, so, uh, yeah, a decade. Oh, awesome stuff. Uh, yeah. That is very cool. Now, why am I getting, uh, and, I, and I did vote in one of these polls, but why am I getting these tweets that I should be voting for Glendale and something? What's going on? Oh, yeah, so there's uh, a little light humor going on on Instagram, Facebook, and uh, Twitter, just getting a little golf content out there. It's uh called golf life ab and we're just having a little march madness for the um for the golf courses in alberta and we're actually down to the final four so yeah we're having a little battle for, uh, if you want to call it that against one of the clubs in calgary the winston golf club so uh yeah we can use all of the egg support and, and who's in the other semi-final the other semi-final uh uh we have a dark horse in cold creek and a big uh Monster in Park Lodge. So. Oh, okay. All right. Well, good yeah. for good for you guys. I think Glendale's slightly ahead in large yeah. part because of my vote, of course. Well, so that's pretty fun. <laughs> that's, Absolutely, yeah. That's that's pretty fun that they're doing yeah. that. Uh, what was it? 2018, 2017, You won the uh, Alberta uh, the Alberta Pro Championship. Or was, well, I'm not giving it yeah. the right title, but yeah, that's 2017, the PGA of Alberta Championship. Yeah. Where was that held? Uh, Riverbend in Calgary caught lightning in a bottle for two days. So, well, it's interesting because I, I've known you for a few years now, and just through doing this job and and, and golfing uh, quite terribly at courses around the city, I've got to know a few a few pros, and some of them say, you know, I'm actually a pretty de- decent golfer, but I don't have that much time to play. Is that what yeah. you found? <laughs> yeah. Well, last year I found that out. Uh, pretty quick i was kind of in an interim role kind of taking over the golf shop um and i I definitely didn't play nearly as much as i wanted to but uh, i'll have a little more time to play this year and hopefully i'll find i'll get my game back a little bit well yeah uh, for you when did you start golfing were you a little kid so i i swung my first club i think when i was probably 10 or 11 um but i didn't play more than twice a year until i was 15 so i started a little late i was uh hockey kid growing up so uh the golf was a, a late passion for me and when what what did you start to like about golf that got you into it a little bit more 
oh, you could go, you can go out with anybody and have a game. So even though I was a lot worse than all my brothers, I can go out with my handicap and uh, play him for a. Uh, for pop at the turn or a hot dog and you have a chance no matter what your skill set is that's what attracted me for sure uh, what was your did you have a regular course when you were a teen when i was a kid i grew up uh, playing at ravencrest on the north north end there so my uh it was funny my mom would drop me and my brother Andrew, my twin brother andrew off and one of us would work in the back shop in the morning the other play and then the other one would close the back shop and then the one that worked in the morning would golf so we'd oh. be there all day <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's an awesome system well, yeah. <laughs> I, I, like you i i got to golf with you um at the 630 chad gary drager sent as an anonymous tournament a couple of years ago and then that's how we first kind of got to know each other and stay in touch and, and you know that i like golf uh i'm pretty bad at it i can hit the odd good shot along the way but i'm not that good and I was, I was saying in the last half hour, I watched the final round on YouTube, 96, when uh, Norman collapsed against Faldo in the final round of the Masters. Like, I watched the oh, whole yeah. thing over a couple yeah. of days. And I, I, I don't know if I ever knew this, but I, I can't remember which commentator it was. It might have been Sean McDonough. He was one of the guys calling the game. I didn't realize this. Norman didn't start playing golf till I think he was 14 or 15, and he was a scratch yeah. golfer a year and a half later or something insane like that. He was a very late starter, too. But, yeah, he grasped the game very quickly. Yeah. <laughs> so when you find, because you obviously instruct people as well, when you find somebody just picks up the game quicker than somebody else, like is there something about their body type or athleticism that lends itself to that? Yeah, athleticism a lot. Um, typically what I see is uh, whether it's whether you're a junior golfer or a uh, adults getting the game late. Uh, if you played a a vast variety of sports growing up, you're probably going to be a pretty quick learner when it comes to golf, just based just with the body movements that it entails. But uh, you have to get hooked to golf. Like you can get frustrated and pack her in pretty quick. Uh, it takes you gotta you gotta get hooked quick in order to in order to get better. Yeah. Well, and it's it can be. It, it's not an easy game to learn. And, and it's not an easy game to learn if you're only playing every once in a while. And I, I, I'm going to give you one of my little complaints here. And to be honest with you, it, this, this doesn't apply to courses I play locally because, you know, I mean, I've played Glendale. I play Riverside a lot because it's close by. I've gone to the quarry. I mean, I've got to play uh, uh, Mayfair, Derrick Club. So, I, like, I'm pretty lucky. And most of the Edmonton courses are tailored for a lot of different variety, a lot of different caliber of players adam and i find that because they have a lot of different tee boxes so absolutely i can't play a 470 yard par four but i can play a 380 yard par four if the tees are a little further up or or, or whatever the distance is but i I'm, I'm afraid that they're building these wacky golf courses around north america now that are going to scare off people from learning the game or the casual player like am i off base here or what's going on you're definitely not off base uh for some reason, over the last yeah two decades, courses have been getting longer and longer. Um, and you would think if courses were getting longer and longer, they just have more and more sets of tee boxes, but they're not. They all stick to having that four or five sets. Um, and part of it is uh, a lot of people, males especially, are they're kind of turned away from playing a forward tee. Um, and that's something that the golf industry that we need to get away from. 
Um, if you're if you're more comfortable playing a forward tee, I hear it in the pro shop a lot with senior members complaining, oh, that, those tees are too far back on hole five or hole six. But uh, if you just play a tee up, you're going to have a lot more fun. And, and really, you, people might think people are judging you, but that's not going to be the case. No, it doesn't, yeah. and, that, and 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 it's true. That's what you, I like about golf is you can generally go out with pretty much anybody, and like I, I don't care. Like I, I will play. I generally will play the white tees, assuming it's a course that has red, white, blue, right? Or maybe there's gold if for, but that's like for scratch golfers, right? So, I, I but but like you said, it, it's still it still relates to your handicap. If I shoot eighty five off the whites and my buddy shoots 85 off the blues obviously he's a better golfer than me but we're playing at about the same pace we're both challenging ourselves in in your own way so i i don't see what what's what's the problem with that like i'm not gonna here's and here's the thing for me i if it's if it's a course is crowded why am i going to play a hole that's going to delay in a way that's going to delay the golfers behind me i think that's selfish play a course that still challenges me but i can play at a fair pace for everybody Absolutely. I agree with that one. All right. There's well, actually a lot of people are stuck in the stigma of the red tees being the ladies tee. And I know there's lots of clubs that are actually making the red tee their farthest back tee. So that, that stigma is going to hopefully change in a few years. Oh, that's a good point. So, yeah. just, so, the, so they'll just say, if this is your handicap, you play this color. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. And then that's a good way to get better because then if you do get better from those tees, then move back. Maybe by August you move back and play a few from the farther tees. Absolutely. It's a good way to learn to score, too. You're going to shoot lower scores the farther the farther you tee it up forward. So. Uh, what, what's going on with the equipment these days? What are some of the latest innovations? Because at the pro level, that's that's hurt some golf courses too right like we're just talking about greg norman who could hit the ball a ton who knows how far he'd be driving it now with the the better equipment well yeah he was definitely one of the long hitters uh yeah we're, there's a big talk about the whole ball roll back whether it should roll back or it shouldn't um but uh the technology these days they it's not really changing a lot the ball is what made the distance go um that you're gaining all the distance off the tee but still being able to spin the ball around the green um, but um, when it comes to technology, you saw last year TaylorMade came out with their twist chase, and uh, so they said that they were at the boundary of the ball speeds. So not many people are are gaining in ball speed like that, but a lot of people are changing the aerodynamics of the head. So if you see like the Callaway Maverick driver, for instance, they change the, the shape of the head for, for club speed, so you're going to gain a little more speed that way rather than changing the the uh, cor of the face well the trampoline effect as most people call it so all right that's uh yeah. that's, that's interesting adam bruce joining us tonight inside sports associate professional at uh, at the glendale so what do you what are you thinking here and uh I, I mean one thing i've noticed from talking to uh to, to golf pros around the city i mean obviously everybody wants uh, his or her course to do well but but i know there seems to be a pretty strong we're all in this together atmosphere as well like it sucks it's this cold and there's still snow on the ground yeah it sucks we don't know if we're going to be able to gather and and golf when the snow is gone so what are courses planning for here yeah so um i'm fortunate i I work at a private club in the city and we actually we chat on a weekly basis i chat with pros from other courses and we chat and we plan on well worst case scenario best case scenario what uh, 2020 is going to look like Uh, in my opinion i think that uh 
golf's going to be a great way to get out and get active while still being able to keep a social distance. I know um, my uh, my boss, he can't go to the gym every morning anymore. Like that was in his in his daily routine, so he's missing that. But golf is a good way to get out, get active. And I know that um, uh, people might be scared to go to a club or to, to go play golf, but I think that if every course does what they can to, to keep everyone's social distance and takes all the right precautions and has a good plan in place, that all members, guests, public players, they should be able to feel safe when they go to the go to the golf course and i guess there's ways where i, I mean I've, I've read you could not have a flag and you don't rake bunkers so there's less touching of all the stuff on the golf course oh yeah so I've, I've i've actually done a lot of research myself for like some best practices that are kind of going on in the states where clubs are still opened and like power carts clubs are either taking them away in general or single rider only so that'll change things a lot um like ball washers and club cleaners, you won't find those on the tee boxes anymore. Uh, you're suggested to forego the traditional handshake. I know that's big in all sports, but uh, that's a no-brainer. And uh, like, yeah, no rakes in the bunkers, so you're gonna you're gonna get some free relief out of those bunkers, Reese. <laughs> <laughs> I still need a bunker lesson from uh, from you or. Or uh, or Sinsky over at the quarry or somebody because I, I, yeah. I usually I just try to putt it out of the bunker because I'm so terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that can work sometimes. Yeah, if you get a little lip in front of you, you might have some trouble. Yeah, that's the problem. <laughs> yeah, if there's a lip, like if the sand is hard and there's no lip, that I usually just putt it out of the bunker. <laughs> it's, it's pathetic. <laughs> I'm awful. <Yeah. laughs> okay, uh, Adam, thanks for popping on. I'm gonna let's do one more for fun. Absolutely. Best golfer of all time, Woods or Nicholas, and then who's third? I'm a I'm a Woods fan. I never thought I was a Woods fan, but uh, ever since he came back, I definitely turned into one. Uh, third, that's a tough one. I'd probably say Seve. Seve oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Very talented guy. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I like I, I I've always said with I'm not really a Woods fan in terms of cheering for him. Because I've said, you know, when he had his peak there from, you know, really 99 to kind of 06, 07, I suppose, yep. I always felt that cheering for Tiger Woods was like cheering for the sun to come up. You knew it was going to happen. You just didn't know exactly when, depending on what time of year it was. But I always appreciated watching him play. And I don't think that Tiger is just a product of the equipment. Because when he started playing... He was still using like wood woods and all that kind of stuff, and they still have to tiger proof the courses. Exactly. Yeah. I remember I was just watching a YouTube video of when he beat Stephen Ames uh, nine and eight, and oh. he was hitting his driver was probably he was the size of the most three woods, even hybrids nowadays. Yeah. Oh well, thanks for updating us. Okay, so where can people vote on this thing again? Tell people. Yeah, go to Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. It's uh, the, the account is called Golf Life AB, and uh, you can vote on their Instagram story or their Twitter page or their Facebook page. Right on. Adam, we'll yeah. have to talk again. Thanks for coming on tonight, Absolutely. man. Absolutely. Yes, thanks for having me. That is Adam Bruce on the show tonight, the associate professional at the Glendale. So he's hopeful. There uh, Now, uh, Adam can't control the weather. I, well, I didn't ask him that, so maybe he can. I'm pretty sure he can't. But hopefully the snow's gone sooner rather than later, and uh, maybe there's going to be a way for people to golf. Keep your social distance. You know, you walk. You don't shake hands. 
the no bunkers, no flags. They'll have some other sort of marker for uh, for where the hole is. Or I guess you could just not take the pin out, and uh, maybe we'll be able to play. That'd be pretty cool. Ten minutes before eight, I want to remind you, some guests on Inside Sports get gift certificates to Northern Chicken, bringing down south comfort food to Edmonton with their creative take on Southern Classic Spun with a modern twist. We're back after the break. this one oh a little classic uh, canadian metal from helix does a fool ever learn for brand? helix oh great band amazing great give band. me an r give me an o give, give me a c. c give me a k. k what do you have rock and what are you gonna do rock you thank you kelly <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome Excellent to have Adam Bruce from the Glendale on the show tonight. You've also heard from Caleb Jones, Jack Michaels, and Scott Milanovic. Don't forget Bob Stoffer has Oilers now from noon to 2. Every day he had Paul Coffey on the show. And uh, he had to uh, get the full interview by going to the Oilers Now page on 630ched.com. And uh, Coffey was uh, telling Bob which of his Stanley Cup winning teams was his favorite. Well, I will say out of the gate, I might be the only one. I'm sure there's a couple other guys that said 85. I was always an 85 guy. Wayne was 87. Kevin was 87. What's rightfully so, but uh, I don't get a whole lot of bragging rights between those two guys, but which team was the greatest? I mean, you know, Philadelphia is a great hockey club. We beat them in five games. I mean, we waltzed through that playoffs, beating some great, great, great hockey clubs. I mean, records were set. Wayne was 52 or whatever points he had in 18 games. I think I had 37. Everybody else, Mark, Wayne, Yari, did their thing. It was pretty incredible. And the 87 team, as great as it was, but we had, we had some we had some we had some add-ons to that team. Like Richard Landon came, you know, for the playoffs. It wasn't a team we had together for a long time and Philadelphia took us seven games so you know I'm an 85 guy Paul Coffey on Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer earlier today Kellen I, I was uh, saw some video today from Times Square in New York mm-hmm. hardly anybody there yeah it's scary isn't it, it it's, it's pretty different and it, I'm, well I guess you don't have to have been to New York to know that Times Square is full of people trust me it's busy light and sound all the time. Uh, I've been in New York a couple of times. Uh, I, I've talked before. It was, so heck, when was it now? November of 2013. I ran the New York City Marathon. Though mm-hmm. I, I will say this. I, I did have the experience of being in Times Square where it was pretty much empty. I, I stayed just a couple blocks from Times Square. And then the, uh, the bunch of us that were running met in the lobby of the hotel. I want to say at f- 5 in the morning. Because mm-hmm. I think I got up. Yep. I think I got up at about quarter after four because what happened was the marathon started on Staten Island. So the, the Ooh. buses were at the, uh, the New York public library. Right. So I, I was staying just west of Times Square and the library, I believe is just Southeast of Times Square. So we met in this big group and it's five in the morning and we walked four or five blocks over to the library. Mm-hmm. And at that time, Times Square, it wasn't deserted. 
there were there was a little bit of traffic moving through it, but there would be a couple cars at a stoplight as opposed to backed up five blocks because of a red light. And right. that was that was a little bit surreal walking through that. And it's like, oh, there's no one here. So that that was a crazy day, man. Because because we went we took the buses from the, the from the New York Library, and then trucked down to Staten Island, and that took it was a bit of a drive. Mm-hmm. And you had to get, and then I didn't start running. What time did I start? Because they started you in three different waves. It would have been maybe nine thirty ten. I started. I can't. I can't remember the exact time. Mm-hmm. But you have to go down there that early because then they start closing all the roads for the marathon. So right. you have to. You have to get bus down there to Staten Island, and then you just kind of lie around and wait mm-hmm. for, for until you can go eventually go to the starting line. And the the one thing that I will always remember from that race, besides being a a horribly incompetent runner and being in a lot of pain. <laughs> we, we so you start it goes through all five boroughs of New York City, but for Staten Island, it's just the start. So you start on Staten Island, it's a few mm-hmm. hundred meters, and then you cross the uh, was it the Verrazano Narrows Bridge, and so that takes you um, into Brooklyn. And at this, I mean, there are, there are so many runners, and plus at the start, you're you're not spaced out at all, and it's it's actually a double decker bridge. But I was on I was on the lower level, so it's covered. But the one thing I remember is the sound because the wind was blowing across the bridge and everybody's paper bib is flapping. And I just remember oh, cool. that, that sound. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's a little bit of that heavier paper, but if, if you've ever run a race, you know what that bib feels like. Oh, yeah. And everybody, like thousands of these bibs just sort of flapping at the same time. It's, it's a sound I'll never forget. That's cool. That's cool. Tonight you heard from Scott Milanovic, Jack Michaels, Caleb Jones, and Adam Bruce. Thanks to Kellen Kennedy and newcomer Cody Jansen. Working as your studio operators this evening, Dave Campbell is the producer of Inside Sports. My name is Reed Wilkins. Hope you have a great night. Adler's next. I'll talk to you tomorrow at 6. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad.